your home of the pens and the best pens coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh and iHeart Radio Station. In a way, I'm hoping the Penguins play Columbus in the first round of the playoffs because I don't think Sergei Bobrovsky can beat Pittsburgh. The Columbus goalie. He hasn't, that's for certain. Bob just lets up so many goals to Pittsburgh and looks so bad doing it. He's way back in the net. He's hesitant. Bob can't beat the Penguins, and the worst part is, for him, he knows it. Bobrovsky won the Vezina just last year, and he just can't make head nor tail of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know what Sergei Bobrovsky needs? Bob needs a vacation from his problems. And he definitely needs a vacation from playing the Penguins. Dr. Leo Marvin's a genius. Your death therapy cured me, you genius. You think he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Sick Again, brought to you by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. That movie, What About Bob? You gotta love it. Bill Murray just in overdrive, that whole movie. I love when he frees himself from being tied up with the gunpowder. And Richard Dreyfus can't believe he's loose. And he has the cake. And it's, Dr. Leo Marvin's a genius. Your death therapy cured me. You genius. I mean, rhyming genius with genius. That is pure genius. Uh, you know what's weird about Bobrovsky? Bob's lifetime splits against the Penguins aren't great, but they aren't terrible. He's 11 wins, 12 losses, with the goals against a 2.88. That's a little below average for a Vezina guy. And he's got a save percentage of 909. Now, when he was with the Flyers, he did pretty good against the Penguins at first. His rookie year, 2010-11, he went 3-1-1 with the goals against the 2.17. And like I said earlier, uh, he won the first game played at PPG Paints Arena, uh, leading the Flyers to a victory over the Penguins. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. we got John Steigerwald, the king of old school. He joins me at 4.15, about 10 minutes or so away, and we will debate Kiner versus Clemente. Best pirate ever. Who is it? Actually, we won't, or at least we won't for too long. Let's go to Dan in Upper St. Clair. Dan, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Double M. Love the show. I just I wanted to call because I was curious as to why um, you enjoy it or at least root for Tiger to fail or to shoot 79 every time you commented how he was three over today and then last and i just didn't yeah because it's funny that everyone acts like he's back to what he was because he played a couple average rounds and finished second in some jamoke tournament he's not what he used to be he never will be again as far as tiger woods the great savior of golf 
It's over. But but you can recognize greatness, and I'm sure appreciate it. So wouldn't oh, you I can recognize used to be greatness, has been greatness, once upon a time greatness, and that's what we're witnessing with Tiger Woods. Do you think it's right, Dan, that all we hear about at every tournament is Tiger Woods when invariably somebody else wins the tournament? Why aren't we hearing about the guy that actually wins the tournament? Well, I think that they're rooting for him to 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 remain great and perhaps like eclipse. Jack yeah, you, did, you didn't answer my question, Dan. Why aren't we hearing about the guys who actually win the tournaments? Why is it always well, Tiger, 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 Tiger? Let's cover Tiger. Well, I don't think that Jordan Spieth has a lot of personality behind him, and I think that's a little oh, boring. Oh, okay. So, so, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that we were keeping score via personality now. I thought it was whether you made par or birdie or bogey that counted. Now, if you're going to tell me we're keeping track of who the best golfer is by personality, why bother actually playing the tournaments? Well, I guess he just moves the needle. I mean, like, golf it does better but, when but he's the point, But the point is, they, they never gave him. somebody else a chance to move the needle. Even when he wasn't playing, the talk was, when's Tiger coming back? Golf's been yeah. about Tiger nonstop even when he's not been playing, Dan. I suppose they're clinging to the ratings that they once got when he was when he was great. But well, if they're like going to do that, him? then they'll never get ratings again without him. Golf has failed to create new stars in Tiger's absence, and uh, they've paid the price for it and will again. And I, I got to be honest, I don't like the guy. He's an adulterer. He's a phony. He's just done so much stuff that put it this way: he's akin to our president in terms of a lot of his failings, but no one calls Tiger on it. It's like they do the president. Right, but I don't turn to golf for a moral issue or a moral compass. I, well, I, maybe I, I do. Don't tell me how to watch golf. Just a minute ago, you said you watched golf for the personality. Tiger Eyes, great personality. Why can't it just be golf, Dan? Well, I, I, I yeah, I, I suppose you, you have a point there. I just, I, of course like, I do, because I'm much smarter than you. Well, I didn't argue that you weren't. I just like you shouldn't. That would be a waste of time. Anything else, Dan? Doctor Leo Marvin's a genius. Your death therapy cured me. You genius. Uh, this is great news. Bill Murray's actually in town uh, tomorrow with Jan Vogler with the Pittsburgh Symphony. Uh, Vogler's a, a, a cellist. And this is like, what, some kind of celebration of the music and literature of America and Europe together. I have no idea what Bill Murray would have to do with that, but I'm glad he's in town. And I hope he's listening so he could hear me sing, Dr. Leo Marvin's a genius. Your death therapy cured me, you genius. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I don't get why people get so offended when I say I'm not rooting for Tiger. Why would I root for Tiger? He's an adulterer. He's a phony. He could be president. He really could. He has all the quality that a typical, successful American politician has, except nobody calls him on it. He's just Tiger. Go, Tiger. We love Tiger. Put on the red shirt, Tiger. Yeah, Tiger, put on the red shirt when you miss the cut and sit alone in a room with one of your two-bit whores. Dr. Leo Marvin's a genius. Your death therapy cured me. You genius. Up next.
The king of old school. Actually, two-bit horse, come on. Tiger does a lot better than that. You ever see Jocelyn James? John Stockwell going up next, 105.90X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark Madden. Yes. Your voice is like sweet nectar to my ears. The last thing we need is a lot of loose talk. Hmm? Hmm? I like it. I like it. The X at 105.9. Joining me now, 40 years in broadcasting, author of two books. Follow him on Twitter at SteigerWorld. He is the king of old school, John Steigerwald. Stag, Trevor Williams pitched six innings of no-hit ball last Sunday and got pulled. Should we really be worried about pitch count when a guy's got a no-hitter going? Uh, no. Well, I mean, I, I don't know his specific arm issues. And, you know, uh, they're talking to him in the dugout and, you know, asking him how he's doing and uh, you know, having him lie down and maybe, you know, be, be having a massage. I don't know. Um, it used to be if you were – if you were, it didn't matter if you had a no-hitter. If you were pitching a shutout after six innings – uh, and there was no, what, what, there's no reason to take you out unless you have arm trouble. So uh, no hitter, I don't understand why he would even think about it. I mean, I know why they do it now because you know they everybody has. Uh, there's a seventh inning pitcher, an eighth inning pitcher, and a ninth inning pitcher. It's funny because um, I don't know if it was opening day or I, I think uh, did Elroy face throw out the first pitch? He did, correct. Uh, but yeah, that, that was an opening old. day. Uh, the the, the no hit bid, the six innings was on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, I know, but... but no, I'm sorry, Elroy on Sunday. Face. Yeah, Elroy Face throughout the that first... That was... Now, now you got me confused, Stag. It was one of the doubleheader games at Detroit on Sunday. Okay, so... But Elroy Face did throw out the first pitch somewhere. On Monday, what, yeah, for the home opener. Yeah, he was what... He's, he's what a relief pitcher used to be. He was brought in, no matter what inning it was, when there was trouble to be put out. Uh, you know, a fire... They used to call him firemen, and when there was a fire, they, they used to call... They gave it the, the fireman award for the relief pitcher, and... He came in to put out fires, which meant it might be the seventh inning, runners at second and third, and Willie Mays is up, and they say, hey, Elroy, come in and get this guy out. That's what relief pitcher used to be, and the starter was supposed to hold on until it was time to bring that guy in, or if it would maybe be lifted for a pinch hitter or something. But if you were if you had a shutout after six innings, they never even considered taking you out unless you had an well, arm Well, issue. that's why I laugh when people talk about the purity of baseball and don't have the DH because they want to see managers manage. That, that's a crock, if only because every manager in baseball manages the same way. They make the same decisions with the same people, you know, because every guy has, like you said, a seventh inning pitcher, eighth inning, etc. It's also cookie cutter. An idiot could manage a Major League Baseball team just by following the blueprint that is set and, 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 and reconfirmed every night. Yeah, they do that now, and that didn't used to be the case. It used to be. That you, when the pitcher was due up and it was a uh, a guy who was uh, pitching a three hitter in the seventh inning and it was a one nothing game and a game you needed to win, you had to make the decision whether to lift him for a pinch hitter and the whole game could have turned on that decision. Uh, and the other thing that I always hated about the DH that nobody brings up, and I still hate it, is that it allows a guy not to play defense and that, that you should have to find a place for the guy in the field. Yeah, but that's weird. That's weird, Stag, that you say that because you're the guy who always says, "Entertain me." And yeah. you're trying to take one good bat out of the lineup if there's no, no, no. DH. I'm, I'm entertained by Greg Lazinski playing left field. That's uh, that's entertaining. Uh, yeah, it's entertaining to have a guy who can't play defense be in the field. That actually adds to the entertainment of the game. Yeah, I, 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 I want as many bats in there as possible. Now, getting back to Trevor Williams. Pitched yeah. six innings and no-hit ball got lifted. He's pitching tonight. 
Right. If he doesn't allow any hits in the first three innings, should he get credit for no hitter? Should we rush the mound and celebrate? Yeah, I think they should. But I also think that whoever's doing the play-by-play shouldn't talk about it. Because <laughs> you don't want him to ruin it, you know? You know like two outs in the third inning and let it go down the drain because one of the announcers mentions it. But just don't now, talk about it, Mark, or you're going to jinx it. Now, the Pirates are 5-1, and one, not bad. No, but they good. sold just 9,000 tickets last night which was their third home game, where is that abrupt decline coming from? I expected less tickets to be sold, but not that many less, and not so quickly in the season. I suppose the weather has something to do with it, but oh, yeah. tickets are but, supposed to be mostly sold in advance. What, yeah, well, I was just going to say that. Whatever, whatever decline uh, occurs, it'll be because of a, a decline in advanced tickets. Uh, like for some, People will say, uh, be, be prepared for people to be disappointed in the attendance tomorrow night. Uh, Saturday night, they're six and one if they win tonight, and nobody showed up for the game. No, nobody's going to show. They won't sell a hundred tickets by winning the game tonight. Those tickets were either sold or not sold in January or February. I want to ask. I want bring one one thing up because since you're talking about the attendance, and I don't if if, if they have refunds for the people who didn't show up, uh, whatever night it was, Wednesday night, the second game. Uh, then I then uh, I apologize, but the Pirates should be ripped, and Major League Baseball should be ripped for playing that game uh, in a blizzard Wednesday night. They they, they announced an attendance of, of sold tickets of twenty thousand. That means fifteen thousand people were told by the Pirates either come out here and sit in a blizzard to watch the game or eat the price of the ticket that you just bought. And um, unless, and I don't think they gave them a refund. I, if I if they gave a refund, then you know, never mind what I'm saying. But no, I don't think they, did. they have not. Okay, well, see, here's what happens, Mark. How stupid! How stupid is Major League Baseball? First of all, to be playing night games in Pittsburgh on April 4th is dumb anyway, because the chances are about 40 to 60 that you're going to be either rained out, snowed out, colded out, something out. But you, not only do you not only do you play a game on Tuesday night in the cold and force the people to make the decision of eating their ticket or showing up and be miserable, but you play against a team that only comes into town once. So that means that you, you, the, the idiots will do everything they can to get the game in, which increases the chances of playing in miserable weather. If you're going to do it, first of all, don't do it. But if you're going to do it, you know, do it against Cincinnati or Milwaukee. Or somebody who comes into town 37 times a year, then you can play a doubleheader later in the year. They did it against Minnesota. I don't think they come in again this year. So it's just it's so stupid. And those people, they, they should they should be given a refund. I'm sitting there watching the game. I was in a restaurant, and the game was on the TV, and, I, and, it's, a, and it's a blizzard. And I'm thinking, who who goes out the who goes out and sits in a baseball game for this? And how why do they not call it? Well, they didn't call it because it was the Twins. And, you know, you can't miss that game with the Twins. And, you know, you have to get that in because they only play Well, no, twice because they would have to fly back into town, and it, it would be very expensive. You're right. That's an error in scheduling. But the big error Stupid. is that Major League Baseball plays a season that's too long. We're talking to the king of old school, John Steigerwald, here on the X. Uh, the Pirates are off to a good start, 5-1. and one. Wouldn't it be ironic if they won, like, 85 games and, uh, and nobody showed up? If the trickle down from the way the team's been run – Kept the seats empty when they overachieved. Well, it, it could happen because because you're, there's there's a limit to the amount of walk up uh, sales you're going to make, and it's going to take a long time for people to start to get the clue that they do you know have some kind of a miracle season uh, brewing. It's going to take until June to, uh, or you know late June maybe to 
start figuring out, hey, maybe this team is actually pretty good, and then they're going to start buying tickets. But you're not going to see that you're going to see the effects of the of the poor advance sales now until June, no matter what they do. Uh, I hesitate to bring this up because I'm sure we'll talk too much about it. But you will always uh, suppose that Roberto Clemente is the greatest pirate ever. I wrote a column in the Trib last week that quotes numbers that I believe proves decisively Ralph Kiner's the greatest pirate ever. His uh, on-base, his slugging, his OPS, all way better than Clemente's or Wagner's or Barry Bonds. What say you? Well, um, they moved the fences in, and that changed everything. I yeah, mean, but, but when they moved the fences in, Stag, they were still the same length of most legitimate major league parks. The, the Forbes Field dimensions without Kiner's corner no. were, were just way... Well, well, Stag, basically, no matter what, you're going to say Clemente's better. Let's be honest. No, no, no. no I'm going to say that you, it's a discount. Imagine, imagine a, a home run hitter. So imagine today, in the, with the media today, with all the Twitter and all the, all the attention paid to every pitch with Major League Baseball Network, imagine if today somebody went from hitting 21 home runs, never more than 23 home runs in his career, to hitting 51 the next year because they moved the fences in, and then winning seven consecutive home run titles uh, because they moved the fences well, well, in. Well, first off, then, Kiner's 23 home run year was his rookie year. Yeah, but, but he, Mark, in that ballpark, Stag, Stag, it was still 335 to left, 375 to left center. Every home run he hit was legitimate by the standards of any day in Major League Baseball. It was actually 355, I think, to left center. But, but No, no, I've, I've researched this one, trust me. The difference is that at Forbes Field, for a right-handed hitter on the, on the real configuration of Forbes Field, to hit a home run, you had to, from anywhere from right center to the left field line, except for about 10 feet between the left field line and the scoreboard, you had to hit it at least 415 feet. Because well, I, I, I understand was, that, but, but, but why, does, why does moving the fences into still a legitimate length delegitimize <laughs> Kiner's home runs? Because, why don't they move it into 250? I mean, but they uh, didn't. Stag, seriously, this is one where you're kind of caught with your, with your knickers down because no matter what, you're going to say Clemente's better. I'm not and his numbers simply about, aren't better. Let's, just, let's leave Clemente out of it. If, well, uh, Ralph Kiner should have been embarrassed to win the home run title because he only did it because they moved the fences in for him. I don't think uh, he and, was. Uh, it, but, well, he should have been. And, I don't and, think he was. <laughs> if, 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 if they tried to do that, just imagine if Andrew McCutcheon... Uh, what if, what, what if but, Ralph but they're Kiner not going to do that today. Wait a minute. Okay, but what if Ralph Kiner would have hit 61, 61 home runs in 1947, because they moved the fences in. You think there might have been some question about but he the legitimacy didn't. of it? He, he hit, hit 52. 50. It hit, was and not hit. only that, when Babe Ruth hit 60, it was less than 300 feet down the right field right. line in Yankee 296. Stadium. 296 on the right field line. That's right. You, yeah, and you still had to hit it uh, 450 feet, to 460 feet to center, 440 to right center. Mark, Willie Stargell, if they had moved the fences in and given him the same gift that they gave Kiner and put the fences uh, on the right side of the field the same distance, he might have hit 80 home runs. He never he hit 33 home runs at four. You have to understand, before the, here's, a, here's, a, here's the history of the, uh, the Kiner's Corner. This is a good uh, history lesson. They moved anyway. it in for Hank Greenberg. It was originally right. Greenberg you know Gardens. They moved it in for Hank Greenberg because they wanted to get Hank Greenberg to play another year, and Hank Greenberg said, Forbes Field, I'm not going there. I can't hit home runs in that ballpark. And they said, okay. We'll but, Stag, you see, here's the thing. 
Most times in baseball, people just say the numbers are what the numbers are, but but Kiner's numbers are undeniable. They're just undeniable. Of course they are. There's no, they're, they're, they hit the home runs. I don't know how many of them he hit that would have been you know, that he actually hit completely out of the ballpark. But I know that in 60 years, three right-handed hitters hit hit 30 home runs. Three or two of them. Frank Thomas did it twice. He's the best right-handed home run hitter in Pirate history. And then that's, that's uh, absurd. Stag, stag, that's absurd. You can you can argue Clemente's better than Kiner if you want. Frank Thomas wasn't a better home run hitter than Ralph Frickin' Kiner. That's absurd. He hit, he hit 35 home runs. In absurd. The and he absurd. Mark, <laughs> does the, Ralph does Kiner led the National League at home runs seven straight times. They He's not the, the best right-handed hitter, home run hitter <laughs> in Byron history. If you move the fences in far enough, I'll I'll lead the National League at home runs seven. No, times. no, no, you wouldn't. You uh, move them in. Let's uh, let's let's move on because this went about <laughs> like I thought it would. Uh, Tiger Woods is in danger of missing the cut at the Masters. How do you feel about that? And why can't people understand that it's over with Tiger Woods as a very top golfer? Well, I don't know if they whether they understand or not. They're they're not willing to accept that. Uh, some people they they're just yearning. They don't really like golf. They like Tiger Woods, and so they don't watch golf tournaments unless Tiger Woods is involved in it or you know among the leaders or might win. And so uh, they want to see him. They don't. They don't even necessarily want to see him win as much as they want to see him compete for it and, and challenge for it, so that they have reason to watch. I, I will sit and watch the Masters. I don't care who's in it. It's just. It's a great. It's that Sunday uh, at the Masters, unless it's a blowout by somebody, is great television. So I don't care who's in it. But those people, the people who glommed on the Tiger Woods and, and and became Tiger Woods fans and not golf fans. When he disappeared, they disappeared. Now they see him coming back, and they think, this is my chance to get back into wanting to watch golf again. Just Here's a tip for you. Just watch it anyway. You don't have to have Tiger in there for the Masters to be good television. Staggy, great stuff as always. We'll do it again next week. All That's right, Don Steigerwald, the king of old school. If they move the fences in close enough, he would lead the National League in home runs. And he is brought to you by Matt Martz Plumbing, count on a name you can trust. Let's get the hockey talk going. I want hockey talk. Four one two three 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 WXDX. It's the Penguins and the Sens tonight, and the Pens need one point to clinch home ice for the first round of the playoffs. One zero five nine. And now the super genius Mark Madden. Hey, what's happening, Mark? Loud noises. PX <laughs> <laughs> at one zero five nine. You gotta love that goal Connor Sherry scored last night. I got a video up of it on the Mark Madden page at the X website. He's going down the rink. He gets a half step on Zach Wierenski, who's no mug. Zach Wierenski's a big-time defenseman. I think that he and Seth Jones of the Jackets, that's the top number one defense pair in the National Hockey League this season. 16 goals apiece. So Sherry's got to step on Wierenski. And Wierenski's trying to not hold him or hook him, just to ride him into the corner and, and, and make the play end and sherry keeps maintaining that half step Wierenski's hanging on him not holding him but hanging on him kind of like leaning over him and sherry just forces the puck to the net and just keeps whacking and whacking and whacking at the puck until it goes in to tie the game and set up the penguins winning in overtime on that kessel goal now i have said that if all the forwards are healthy i wouldn't dress connor sherry for the playoffs 
But plays like that, last night, that goal, that perseverance, that toughness, that's how you change people's minds. Uh, I still want Sherry to play with more grit and defend better and especially make less turnovers between the blue lines. But that goal last night, which may turn out to be a big goal in the context of the Penguin season, a goal like that is how you change people's minds. That looked like Kenny the Kangaroo bowling his way to the net to tie the game. It was absolutely fabulous and showed just a ton. Uh, meanwhile, Patrick Cornquist continues his tour of demolition, his path of rage, if you will. He got a great turn on that puck and kind of chunked it out of the air on the half volley to get that goal up. Last night's game was just a microcosm of the Penguin season. Some of the stuff they did was just glorious. And some of the stuff they did was just useless. In the end, they won 5-4. Can they bat down the hatches to play playoff hockey be in the next Wednesday? I hope so. And I really do think so as well. One guy I'm not worried about is Matt Murray. Matt Murray lost some bad goals, but he wins games. One guy I'm not worried about is Chris Letang. He makes some mistakes, but he makes more good plays, and Chris Letang, too, wins games. There's a scenario. Here's what I'm rooting to happen. I may have this wrong if I do forgive me, but the NHL just put out a note. The one playoff spot still up for grabs in the East is between Philadelphia and Florida. If Philadelphia loses to the Rangers by two on Saturday and then Florida wins each of its remaining games by shootout, that would force a playoff game for the final playoff spot between the Flyers and Florida on Tuesday. That is absolutely what I'm rooting for. It isn't likely to happen, but that's what I'm rooting for. And barring that, of course, I'm rooting for Philadelphia to just miss the playoffs, period. But I don't think Philadelphia is going to lose to the to the Rangers. Uh, I don't know, though. The Rangers have actually played pretty well since they had their semi-fire sale and uh, and have been out of the playoff race. I was talking to uh, a buddy of mine who works for the Rangers after they won a game, and he said, well, that's more, that's more uh, lottery pick balls we're throwing back uh, into the mix. But uh, you can't tell guys to not play good. You can tank via roster manipulation and coaching, but you can't tell guys to not play good. Uh, here's the update for the Masters. Tiger Woods is three over on the day through ten. He's four over on the tournament. And, of course, he's the only story. I was bemoaning that earlier. Why is he the only story? Why is he the only guy we're talking about? This guy, Finau, who's American. I hope that's how you pronounce his name, Finau. He fractured his ankle or dislocated it during the par three competition. And yesterday he was leading the tournament, and today he's still near the leaderboard. In fact, he's playing better than Woods, which isn't that great. Why can't we talk about him? Why can't, why can't we stop talking about Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods is a mediocre golfer from here on out. In terms of his days of dominance, it's over. Let's go to Jason in North Hills. Jason, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Mark, how you doing? Great. Hey, two-part question, if you'll let me. Uh, first part, you're an NHL head coach. In the first period of a playoff game, how many goals would you allow your goalie to let in? Soft goals prior to pulling them. 
Well, that, that depends on, on the situation. It depends on who your number one goalie is, what his track record was down the stretch of the regular season, what his track record is against the team you're facing, and who your backup is. I can't possibly make a blanket judgment on that. Okay, well, let's take, let's take the Penguins, for instance. If it's Matt Murray, how many goals would you allow him to let in before you pulled him knowing who your backup is? Okay, before I pulled Matt Murray to put Casey DeSmith in, in a playoff game? A sniper would have to kill Matt Murray. Yes. Yeah, so uh, in other words, it would I, I would be very unlikely to pull him unless the game got to the point it was a lost cause. And then I would be doing it for the sake of resting Murray and no other. Okay, uh, second part of the question. Go ahead. You saw, you saw Gallagher the other night. I mean, it was pretty blatant. It was pretty obvious he tried to take uh, Murray out of the game. Um, I mean, without Murray back there, is, or, I'm sorry, without Flurry back there as a backup, I mean, how detrimental is that? I mean, well, well, no, no kidding, no kidding. It's detrimental. I mean, that was a unique situation. What did you want them to do? No, I'm not. I'm not debating that they had to make a decision. I, well, I, I yeah, but I'm I mean, what kind of what kind of what kind of debate are you provoking? Does it hurt to not have Flurry? Yeah, it hurts to not have Flurry. I mean. You know, you know what, what? What else could the answer possibly be? Yeah, I get where you're coming from. I guess right now I'm just uh, I'm a little unsettled with the condition of well, Matt Murray. You can unsettle all you want, but the bottom line is the Penguins are in the same boat as just about every other NHL team. They have one good goalie and one goalie who's not so good. When they had Murray and Flurry, it was a unique circumstance. Agreed. Agreed. I, I don't debate that. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I guess I'm just uh, with with Matt Murray's condition. I don't feel he's at 100 percent yet. Um, and if how, how, how would you know that, it, doctor? I'm not saying I'm a doctor, Mark. I'm not. Yeah, saying he that played. He, bro, he's fine. Goodbye. You're, you're irritating me. He played last night. He's probably going to play tonight. For the love of God, you know it's great last night. I love this. Kessel's goal goes in the net, and it's a, a dart. Oh my God! I mean, Bobrovsky barely moved. He barely moved. It's just like it was rolling out past Bobrovsky out of the net before Bobrovsky reacted. So so he's skating to the bench. The Blue Jackets go to their dressing room, and the camera caught Tortorella. And Tortorella's like throwing his arms up in the air. He's rolling his eyes. He doesn't know what to do, doesn't know what to say. That was great. That was a great shot after a great finish by Kessel and a great finish to that game in general. We got the Hockey Night Show next hour. We got all kinds of hockey talk if you get it going. As I said a bit earlier, the Penguins want their defense to get involved in the offense. I want their defense to get more involved in the defense. A win's a win, but look at some of the goals last night. Calvert just danced around. Everybody went to the net, dangled in a goal. He shouldn't be able to do that. Boone Jenner was standing all alone right in front when he scored. And it was odd man break, after odd man break, after odd man break, after odd man break. I was taking notes last night. We were at the uh, hotel bar at the Marriott downtown. Very delightful time having the viewing party there, thanks to all who attended. And I was taking notes, and twice after the Penguins scored, they allowed an odd man break within 15 seconds of the puck being dropped. That's not how you succeed in the playoffs. 
412-333-9939. Let's see if we have another Tiger Woods update because, after all, he's the only golfer participating in the Masters. Uh, I could tell you who leads, but why would you care about that? Because this is all about Tiger. Okay, Tiger's still three strokes over on the day, and he is now 11 strokes off the lead. He's just another golfer. He's just another golfer. Dr. Leo Marvin's a genius. Your death therapy cured me. You genius. Bob McLaughlin, I'm next, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Bubble M, huge fan. You're talking to the super genius. No doubt, Bubble M. Hey, Mark, this is the best onion ring. Ooh. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, let's talk about a couple of the goals from last night's game. First off, that Connor Sherry goal, I was away, amazed by how he managed to hold off Zach Lorensky for the best part of 100 feet and just keep getting whack after whack at the puck until it went in. Great perseverance by a guy who can't go on the big kid's rides at Kennywood. <laughs> Well put. I mean, Mark, he used his ass like he was Yager there. I mean, he turned, just put the backside into Wierenski to hold him off, and then after the first shot, while well, the puck was just sitting there, I mean, that's Seth Jones and that's Wierenski, their, their top pair, and they're just looking. They're all three, Bobrovsky, Jones, Wierenski. They're all looking at each other like, oh, you got it. No, I got it. You got. It. Go ahead. You got it. And meanwhile, Sherry just reaches back, flips it right in there, and it was like time had stood still for a second, it, it, you're right. The effort was unbelievable. Good for well, him to get one that. One of them should have done was just plow him over, <laughs> even exactly. if it was taking the penalty. But I don't think that Wierenski or Jones had the heart to do it to the little guy. You know, we're not talking about tree trunk legs here and like a huge base that he can, you know, keep his balance with. Uh, but he, he got himself big. He opened the legs out so it was tough to knock him down. He just got some torque on the stick as he leaned on it and put it in. Thing of beauty, Mark. I, I jumped up and yelled when he did it because I thought that I actually thought that the puck was frozen. I loved it. Uh, Bob, what about the Kessel goal? And what about my uh, supposition that Kessel, that wrist shot, is the best shot in hockey and it's unstoppable? When, when delivered properly. Yeah, can't argue that, Mark, at all. In fact, um, I'll, full disclosure here, when he was going down the ice like that and he turned around to, to uh, put the stick on puck at that angle, I thought he was going to brace for a shot and do that leg kick type thing, but that shot was so fast. I, at first, I kind of missed it, just like Bobrovsky did. I think I reacted to it at the same time Bob did when I realized it was in. Hell of a shot, hell of a way for him to go coast to coast on that one, uh, and very deserving because Kessel had a great game last night. The Penguins have, I, I want to say, uh, 12 or 13 overtime wins, and most of those have been procured three-on-three and not in the shootout. Does that inflate their record unfairly? Not unfairly. You know what I mean? Do, do, do we maybe look at that record and think they've done better this year than their performance merits? You know, if you weren't a Penguins fan, Mark, yeah, you could absolutely make that argument. And when the Penguins go into an overtime situation with the talent that they have, uh, maybe it is a little bit unfair because they can just – you know, either way, they're going to put some studs out on the ice, no matter who's out there. Some offensive studs, whether it's you know even Chris Letang as a defenseman at that point. Um, it, it look, that's the way the game is played, though. Those are the rules. Uh, the Penguins, you know, leave it to GMJR because he stacked his team like that, and they have that um, unfair advantage, I guess you could say. 
But I'm not going to make that argument if somebody else who's not a Penguin fan or one of the opposition, you know, or one of the opponents from the Metro leading into the playoffs wants to make it. I'm fine with that. But of course, it goes away in the playoffs. Um, but even in overtime, I think that they still have the advantage with the offensive talent that they have. Here's a funny tweet from Chris. Chris tweets. I think the Penguins played the regular season like it was a pass-fail course. They did the very minimum to get into the playoffs. That's a a pretty good way of putting it. Getting back to Phil for just one second, uh, Jason Mackey was on earlier, and he talked about how Phil really has the mechanics of shooting nailed down. And if you'll recall, Bob, when Phil was nice enough to join us on the show last year for a rare one-on-one interview, uh, a lot of that came through in his conversation. He really understands how to shoot the puck, and and that might sound simple. It's really not, especially not with the torque, the flex, the way he wrong foots it. It's like he does everything wrong, and it comes out right. Yeah, and it's like Mark. He he deliberately does that. It's you know he's hiding that. He's hiding when he's going to shoot it. Finally, he's hiding when he's set to go. Um, he's hiding like when he's going to make a pass or when he's going to pull back. Phil Kessel had a great game last night a couple of times just keeping the puck in the offensive zone by passing it to himself off the boards or a quick immediate stop and being able to dangle with it for a while. So, uh, look, he's got the offensive side of it down. You'll see him step it up maybe a bit in the uh, playoffs on the defensive zone or the defensive side. Uh, I am all good with Phil Kessel's game. Who would you play in goal tonight, Matthew Murray or Casey DeSmith, knowing the Penguins need one point to clinch home ice? Yeah, Matt Murray, no question at all. They've got a ton of time off. I know you gave the uh, info that the playoffs start next Wednesday, April 11th. Um, I think Matt Murray is in net for your Penguins tonight to get that home ice advantage through the first round. Uh, I I mistakenly thought that they had it locked up because that's what everybody was reporting, but uh, you, you make sure of that tonight with 30 in the net. What was your take on the way Matt played last night? He let in that horrible goal to open things up to Wierenski. And there were a couple other goals I think he might wish he had back. He didn't make that many saves, but he made some great saves when the Blue Jackets could have gone up by two goals. Yeah, you and Josh Mackey covered it pretty well in the 3 o'clock. Uh, I think Mackey used the 90-10%. 90% of the time he makes you know what he needs to do and even above that. And 10% of the time, like the first goal last night, one just seems to get through. Uh, I don't think that you know people can just jump on that weak glove hand thing anymore because I've seen some incredible saves by him and very timely saves, as you talked about with him also. Uh, it seems like if he gives one up, Mark, he comes back and he stops the next you know two or three really good chances, and that's all that kept the Penguins in the game last night. And you can you know you can just rack up the number of times that it worked out like that during the regular season. Uh, finally, Bob, what about Sergei Bobrovsky and the way the Penguins just have his number? If the teams do play again in the first round and you're John Tortorella, would you stick with Bobrovsky or would you go to join us Corpusalo? Corpusalo. I said it yesterday when we talked, Mark, and I didn't see anything to change my mind last night. And I know that that opens up a can of worms in Columbus because of what Bob has done. But, you know, it's what have you done for me lately? Well, and, now, now here's, here's what I would do. I would play Bob the first game, and if Columbus didn't win, I'd go with Corpusalo in the second game. That's fair. You just can't keep letting the same guy get beat over and over and over again. 
But I think you have to give your number one goalie the first playoff game. That, I could live with that, Mark, and I think that that's what uh, Torts will do, but I'm not sure that... I don't. I think he'll go with uh, Bobrovsky come hell or high water. Do you really even have to the reaction at the goal last night? Yes. <laughs> Which was hilarious. Well, you, you see, if put it this way, though. If Torts blamed Bob for that goal, then he's wrong because Jacques Plante dipped in Ken Dryden in their respective primes wouldn't have stopped that shot. Good point. It was perfect. Although, you know, it was weird. There were a couple times in the third period where if Bob would have been any deeper in the net, he would have been in the first row of seats behind the net. <laughs> he just, he looked so spooked playing the Penguins, especially when pucks start going in. Which I think is why some of the uh, Blue Jackets fan base would have no problem if they went with Corpus Allo first. But I do understand you're planning on using Bob first, and if he fails, then you got to yank him then. That's Bob McLaughlin brought to you by 84 Lumber. In just a moment, an amusing anecdote from my appearance last night at the hotel bar at the downtown Marriott. And then we want hockey calls. Let's get all hockey calls the rest of the show. Line up the hockey calls. What did you think of Sherry's goal? What did you think of Kessel's goal? What did you think of Murray's performance? What did you think of Gino picking up Calvert's stick to prevent that, em- that empty net tap-in uh, when the Blue Jackets could have gone up by two? Hockey calls right now, 412-333-WXDX.